So we're going to pray, and we're going to get into God's Word, and we're going to talk about God's love today. Because when I, when I think about a new year, or I think about being tired, or when Ashley asked me to pre- preach, I was like, what? A, here it is, 1 Corinthians 13. We're just going to go back to the basics. Starting off a new year, we're going to talk about God's love. And I hope that that will give you joy and peace and rest in the midst of a crazy new year. How about that? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you are good. <laughs> and you have revealed your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love in Jesus perfectly. And so we ask that he, by his spirit, would be our teacher this morning. That you would do good to your people who are tired, who are weary, who are heavy laden. Lord, would you enable us to run to you today that we might find rest. For your law is love and your gospel is peace. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, you're going to see Paul is going to demand love in 1 Corinthians 13. He's going to define love. And then finally, he's going to declare love the greatest. So that's where we're going, three Ds. Try to make it easy for you. Uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, is going to demand love, define love, and declare love the greatest. Let's look at God's Word together in 1 Corinthians 13. And if y'all don't mind, I'm a little warm, so. Get more comfortable. All right. This is the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will be useless, will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God, it, it stands forever. So we're going to first talk about the demand um, of love that Paul points to. And I, I wanted to give you a different, this is the New Living Translation. All these are different copies of the original uh, Greek, but um, I wanted to give you a different one because I, I know you've probably heard this passage probably a hundred times. I mean, go to a wedding and you're probably going to hear it. Um, very often though, it's, it, it was the lack of love displayed in the Corinthian church who are a lot like me that Paul had to write this about. Um, don't, don't sentimentalize this passage too much. Uh, but, but here I wanted to give you a different translation. One, uh, we're going to talk about each one um, from probably a translation that you're more familiar with, but I just wanted you to hear that. The demand for love is first. So I don't know uh, if you've seen the progressive car commercials. Y'all know Flow? Some of y'all haven't seen commercials in like six years, but you know what I mean. Uh, just bear with me for a second. So there's this guy, Jamie. He, he's like Flo's number two assistant. He's kind of the annoying guy with short hair. I don't know if you've seen this guy. But his name's Jamie, and he's on the progressive auto and you know, car bundle, home insurance, whatever it is. And uh, I was watching uh, this commercial the other day, and it, it just struck me. Uh, Jamie is driving up in his minivan, and it's slow motion. And he's focused. He gets out in this restricted area and the guy's like, no, 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 you can't park here. But he's just like throwing his keys to him. He thinks he's the valet and he just keeps walking and the keys hit the ground. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then he goes in this like important door that he's not supposed to be in. And he goes through, I mean, this list of things that just prove to you he's delusional right now. He, he thinks this whole thing is set up for him. Like he's some rock star. He grabs a kid's juice box and drinks it and then crushes it and throws it. He signs some autograph that nobody asked him to sign, you know, and he's, He's just thinking he's a big deal, you know? And it's kind of silly. It's kind of funny. Most commercials I just like, I I can't handle. Um, I just want to mute or fast forward if I have the option. This one I was just kind of struck like, that's that's actually clever. That's funny. But then he walks up on set in the middle of Flo doing her thing. They're they're actually during a commercial uh, filming another commercial. And he walks in and disrupts the whole thing. And they're like, whoa, 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 cut, cut. And he's like, what, what? And he finally comes back to reality, sort of. Uh, and he's like, oh, I thought it was Thursday. And they're like, it is Thursday. <laughs> he's like, well, next Thursday. He, he doesn't know what to do, and he walks off kind of in shame, right? But the point is, from that silly commercial, when I was watching it, what stood out to me is, here's a guy who thinks this whole setup is about him. He's center stage. He's getting it twisted, y'all. He got it twisted. He thought this whole thing was about him. If you go back and read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see that the Apostle Paul says there's tons of different ways to serve God. There's tons of different gifts. There's tons of different things, really cool things that God's doing, but there's one spirit. There's one Lord. There's one king and one kingdom. There's one body, many members. And Paul is saying to you, to us, to the Corinthians, he's saying, don't get it twisted. This was long before commercials were put on screen, but Paul's saying the same thing. He's like, don't get it twisted. Do not think that the gifts God gave you were to promote yourself or to think that you're center stage here. That's why he's saying, I'm going to show you a more excellent way in in chapter 13, and he talks about love. And he's going to talk about love being the greatest gift. So if you get it twisted, if if you have all these wonderful gifts and you think they're there to prop you up and make you a big deal so that you can hold it over others, you're missing the entire point of the gift in, in the first place. This is about the glory of God, the giver of gifts, who is building up his church, edifying his church collectively together. Your gifts exist, yes, for you, and you are a snowflake in some ways, and you have your own, you have your own little fingerprint, and you are made in the image of God, and God loves you individually, absolutely. And yet, this isn't about your glory primarily. This is about the glory of God and the glory of his church that he will make beautiful in his timing. And so don't get it twisted. Don't be like Jamie. 
Don't think the gifts God gave you were to promote yourself and put you at the center of the stage. That's Paul's, you know, his demand for love is saying these gifts are wonderful. He's not belittling these other gifts, but he's holding up a more excellent way, the greatest gift being love. And so he'll say things like in the first three verses, he'll say, if I have the tongues of men and of angels, if I can speak, if I, if I have all these wonderful utterances that the Spirit of God gives me, but I don't have love, then I'm just noisy. I'm just making noise. I'm just a clanging cymbal. Or if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and I have all this knowledge, like you can be really, really smart <laughs> and still not be wise. Because if you have all faith and you have all prophetic powers and you understand all these mysteries, but you don't have love, Paul says, you gain nothing. He even says, I am nothing. Or what about this? He says, you could be highly generous. You could be super sacrificial. You can give away all that you have to the poor. And even your body, and you could offer it up to be burned. Super sacrificial. And yet he says, without love, you gain nothing. And so what Paul is trying to say to you is this. Uh, Without love, you say nothing, you gain nothing, and you become nothing. In other words, without love, everything is lost. So where's the love, right? And I love how Paul talks about these three areas. I think he's getting at the entire church in a lot of ways. Here's what I mean by that. So very often you have thinkers and feelers and doers. Y'all know. I mean, typically you can be a mixture of those things, don't get me wrong, but typically we, we, we tend to go towards one of those things. So you have these thinker Christians who have a lot of books and, um, and they love to express their faith. They, they want to gain a deeper knowledge of God. At best, God gave you a mind and he wants you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. At worst, if that's not stewarded properly, then you think you're smarter than everybody and you just want to beat people up with theology, right? And so... All these gifts are wonderful, but when they're propped up, when they prop you up, and Paul has already told the Corinthians, knowledge will puff you up, but love will build you up. So he's saying to people, hey, I don't care if you think you know everything. <laughs> You've got it twisted if you're not loving. And so he's going after the thinker Christians, and then he's going after the doer Christians, right? The doer Christians... I, are the ones who are like, hey, y'all are in the church talking too much. We have hands and feet that God gave us. Get out there and do stuff. Like, go love your neighbor. These are the doer Christians, right? And we need some doer Christians. But he's saying, look, you, you could be super sacrificial and give away everything and do it all for your own righteousness and not loving your neighbor and you gain nothing. Or think about the feeler Christians, you know, we love to worship God together. And sometimes though we're always looking for that next experience or that next feeling. But here's the deal, every part of us has fallen and even our, our emotions, our feelings will betray us. And so sometimes we have to tell ourselves the truth instead of waiting to feel it. And so it doesn't matter where you fall on those categories right now. All I'm telling you is when Paul picks up these three things, tongues and prophetic powers and mysteries and being super sacrificial, He's really getting at the heart of all of us saying, hey, I don't care what you tend to go after. You need to go after love. And that's what he opens up the next uh, chapter with. Pursue love. Make your aim love. With whatever gifts God has given you, praise God for them. But go after love, his greatest gift. Before we get into the definition of love, let me just say, Without love, we judge, we devour, we bite, we compare. 
we compete within the church and outside the church. Without love, that's what happens. But with love, we can actually see and celebrate the gifts of God and like we can rejoice and we can actually believe it's better to give than to receive. I got to tell my my little uh, kiddos at at chapel, uh, we were talking about Christmas and uh, I was like, does anybody else struggle with like it's better to give than to receive? Because at Christmas, I'm like, I want gifts. I want everybody to put my name on the gift. I want Amazon gift cards. I want, you know, I want to get. But here's the mathematics and the backwardness of the gospel that's so good. The, the, the kingdom economy of God is this. When you give, one, you already acknowledge that you've received, which is good, right? That's good news, that God has already given you something. When you give, you're acknowledging that you've already received. But here, get this. When I give to one person, I get to share in their joy and I become two people happy. Or when I share with the crowd, I get to share your joy and we get to be crowd happy, right? When, I, when I'm sharing with, with kiddos and they're all going around thanking God individually for one thing that God made, I get to find out one thing that, got, that makes them happy and I get to share in the joy of all who shared. And so friends, it really is the words of Jesus that Paul quotes better to give than to receive because we can give and receive the gifts of God without competition and God gets more glory for it when we give and receive the gifts of God with love and appreciation we need each other we thank God you have some feeler Christians in here thank God you have some doer Christians in here and thank God you have some thinker Christians in here and here's my encouragement to you is learn from each other rub off on each other iron sharpens iron believe the best about each other as we'll, we'll see in just a second. But let's, let's keep moving. Paul doesn't just demand love. God doesn't just demand love. He's going to define it for us. So the Apostle Paul says that love is patient. Just bear with me. I'm, I'm going to go through each one and just give you a couple thoughts. Patient. It, the idea here, Old Testament and New, is that God has a long nose, uh, that he's, that he's uh, long-suffering, that he doesn't get high... He, He's not trigger happy. <laughs> He's patient. He's long suffering. And, and what that looks like for us is waiting on the Lord and waiting on others in humility. Love is patient. Love is, it, love is kind. When you, when you think of this, you ought to think of, of gentleness, of, you know, what my mom always said for us growing up, because four boys, we fought a lot. She was like, hey, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. And I thought she was just quoting something her, her mom, my grandmother, told her a long time ago. But that's Proverbs. That's Proverbs 19, 22. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Love is patient and kind. It's approachable. It's welcoming. It's considerate. When you think about, I, I would highly recommend this book in the new year. I just picked it up. I'm just starting to read it. Uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's talking about the heart of Jesus who described himself as, as lowly, as humble, as gentle. There's never been anybody more approachable than Jesus. When you think about kindness, it's God's kindness that actually leads us to repentance. Not his finger pointing, but his arms wide open. That's kindness. That's gentleness. That's lowliness. That's accessibility. Does not envy. Lo- love doesn't envy. When, when you think about envy, it's not just, hey, man, I really like those shoes. I want, I want those. It's, I don't want you to have them. It's a double-edged sword. It's not just that I want what you got. I don't want you to have it. Envy's horrible. <laughs> and, and here's the difference of envy. I love to see you get more than you deserve. And it's Jesus, isn't it? I desire mercy. 
He loves to see people get more than they deserve. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. So it doesn't self-inflate. It doesn't puff itself up and say, look how good I am. It's not self-preoccupied, but it considers the needs of others ahead of themselves. And so you could put it this way, it's welcoming. It's been said time and time again that we look down on other people when we fail to look up at God, right? When we forget our place, then it's easy for us to take the place of others or to try to take the place of God. And so you look down on others when you forget to look up to God. That's what being arrogant or rude is all about. But love doesn't do that. Love does not insist on its own way. But it has the attitude or the mind of Christ that says, oh, no, no, you first. (laughs) I'll submit. I'll submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus, Paul says. It's not irritable or rude. It's not, you know, the the passage we read uh, from that that, um, translation said that it doesn't doesn't keep score, right? And so... it's not resentful, but it's quick to forgive or go back up to one and two, less patient and kind. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing or injustice, but it rejoices in the truth. So, I mean, we have entire TV shows uh, based on like when celebrities do ridiculous things, we throw a watch party. Like we just want to know how bad and terrible people's falls are. Um, watch the news, right? Sometimes. Ooh. It throws a watch party when those people over there do something, or, or this side of the aisle does this, or this side of the aisle does that. Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. It doesn't love to watch people fail or fall, but it rejoices with the truth. It celebrates what builds people up and not what tears them down. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, The Apostle Paul had already told us in Galatians 6 that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Love love looks for the darkness or the brokenness or the burden of others and it goes toward it, not away from it. Um, You know, my kids sometimes are like, man, mom has to work today. She works two days a week at St. Jude and she had to work Christmas Eve and sometimes she has to work holidays because this is a broken, weary world where kids get sick of ridiculous things even on Christmas or Christmas Eve. But I'm so proud of my wife that I get to tell my kids, hey, she's moving toward that brokenness with Jesus' light and love. And you ought to be proud of your mama that God's at work in her doing that. And so even as I consider what it looks like to bear the need, the burdens of others, you you can get creative with that, friends. There's a hundred ways to do it. There's more than a hundred ways to do it. But are we looking for ways to, to lift the burdens of others. Actually, one of the harshest critic, uh, uh, critiques that Jesus gave the Pharisees is, you lay the heavy law on these people and you don't lift a finger to help them. Jesus said that to the religious folk. It bears all things. It believes all things. You know, without faith, it's impossible to, to, um, to please God. Hebrews tells us that. But Paul has already told us that, that that faith is a gift. You're saved by grace through faith. This is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. But that faith isn't even your own. It was a gift of God. And so exercise that gift of faith to believe that what God said is going down the way he said it. But also extend that love to others. Believe the best about others. Take others at their word until you have very good reason not to. But we, do we believe the best about others? It believes all things. It hopes all things. Uh, 
man, you know, we have to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, we have a lot to mourn. <laughs> I have a lot to mourn in, in what's going on in, in my brokenness. Uh, what's going on out there, we have a lot to mourn. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus had all the feelings, all the feels. He got fully sad and fully mad. Uh, he, and yet he was like literally filled with joy to pursue what God had for him to pursue, namely you and me, sinners that he would go after us. This points to the enduring of all things. Have y'all heard of uh, Cliff Young? Y'all need to go home and Google this this afternoon. Cliff, uh, Cliff Young is a 61-year-old farmer. I don't know when this actually happened, so this might be years ago. But um, Cliff Young was 61 years old when he showed up at this race. And this is like an ultra race. It was like over a 500-mile race, which like if I'd have shown up for this race, I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. How long is this? I'll see y'all later. Like, I don't do anything more than 20 minutes. That's not, that's not me. But this guy shows up, 61 years old, and he's wearing overalls, Oshkosh, Bagosh, or whatever you call them. He has on work boots. And all these other young, healthy people have sponsors and, like, cross trainers. And, like, they look like they're supposed to be there. And this guy, he doesn't look like he's supposed to be there. And, and here's the thing, though. It's a six-and-a-half-day race, over 500 miles, like I said. But Cliff, he kind of had an advantage. You know why? He didn't know that you were supposed to run for like 18 hours and then sleep for six. So they called it the Cliff Shuffle. Cliff just kept going. Everybody else stop. Day one, Cliff kept going. Cliff ran through the night. There's images, there's a video of Cliff like drinking milk as he's shuffling and eating something and he's still going. I'm like, this dude, y'all, he runs through the darkness, he doesn't stop for five and a half days, and he beats the record by 12 hours. 61 years old in overalls, showed up in boots. I mean, I think they actually, after a couple of days, were like, hey, bro, you need to get some tennis shoes. But this, this is, it blew my mind when I read this. I was like, wait a second, I got to check this out. What a picture of endurance. They said, did you train for this? He goes, no, but I do work on a farm, and when I see a storm coming, I'll run for days and go get my sheep. The endurance to not quit. This is what love is. The Jesus Storybook Bible says it like this. It's the never-ending, unbreaking, unending, always and forever love. Paul is going to tell you basically this, that God's love, it endures all things. God's love is never going to stop coming after you. It doesn't end. It just keeps coming. It doesn't lay down and sleep. It just keeps coming. And you know what's really good news? It keeps coming through the darkness in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your weariness, it keeps coming. Love never ends. It's always there. But finally, Paul's going to say this. He's going to declare love the greatest. The Africa Bible commentary puts it this way. This is a Bible commentary that over 70 African pastors wrote. Um, It says this, Christian love can be described as the greater gift because it is absolutely permanent. You know, there'll be a time where we don't need, you know, in, when Paul was writing this, there's, there's a time when we don't need prophecy anymore. We, there's going to become a time where we don't need tongues, where we don't need healing, where we don't need the gift of mercy. There's going to be time we don't need these other gifts that are good gifts that God gave intentionally and we should thank him for. He's not belittling those gifts. What he's saying is love is permanent. There will never be a day, Christian, when you don't give and receive love. There will never be a day you don't need love. And one day... When we see Jesus as he is, we'll be able to fully receive the love of God and fully give it. 
without sin, without corruption, without any of that mess, without any of the darkness. And I long for that day. Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him, full of love. Love is the greatest because it's absolutely permanent. It's never going away. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that love's the greatest thing in the world. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Everybody knows love is the greatest thing in the world. As Christians, we know why. First John 4, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Because God is love. God didn't make you because he was lonely. Um, God wanted to make you because he wanted to share his love with you. And he was already loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This grace community, this, love, this loving family that now he wants to extend and grow and share his love. Love is the greatest thing because God is love. And finally, let me just put it this way. We love because he first loved us. Don't get this twisted, y'all. Don't think, okay, this new year, my new year's resolution is to be more loving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be loving and I'm going to basically earn the right to be loved by others or earn, earn God's love. Question, let's go Old Testament and then New Testament. Old Testament, did God say, hey, I'm going to rescue you from slavery in Egypt if you keep these Ten Commandments? Or did he say, I've heard their cries, I've seen their tears, I remember my covenant, I'm going to come down with a strong arm, I'm going to rescue my people, I'm going to free them from bondage. And then later he said, hey, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now love me first because I've loved you. I've already expressed my love for you. I've already redeemed you. I've already freed you. Now that you're mine and you know it, act like it. Love me first. So even the law is given within the context of grace. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out. So live like that. Love me first. Or in the New Testament, did Jesus, did Jesus say when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, did he say, okay, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and die for you if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. If you do that, I'll go to the cross for you. Is that what he did? <laughs> we can't do that. No. Only Jesus is the one who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbors himself. Jesus is the only one, and he's the only one we got. And so we love because we actually participate in the risen life of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. We love because he first loved us. We cannot get that twisted. So friends, let me just remind you, Tim Keller put it this way. He said, any identity that's earned will be exclusive. Okay, I grew up with an identity wanting to be the best quarterback in the world. Uh, At times there were like, it was this idol in my life where I thought God existed to make me a good athlete. So growing up when I was very young, uh, and even becoming a young man, like I thought, man, I, 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 my identity is in being a good football player, right? That's I, I, just where I was. And then I went to a football camp, and I saw Peyton Manning throw a 27-yard like, dig route to Tavares Fisher, and I thought, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do it like that. And so I realized that in that moment, like, I, this identity that's somewhat been working for me ain't working anymore because <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. So if I build my identity on something I can achieve, it's going to fall apart. It's going to crumble at some point. But Tim Keller said, if, if your identity is given to you, if it's a gift, then you want others in on that gift too. If you know that you're loved, that you've been given this greatest gift, the gift of love, then you don't care what other gifts you got. You're not too worried about it. You can pray for all the gifts. Paul says, earnestly desire them, pray for them. Great, wonderful. I'm not saying that. But if you got, if you got God's son, the greatest gift, if you have God's love, 
what else you need? You have the love of God. The same love the Father has for the Son, Jesus says, he has for you. So without time, without measure, you can't see the bottom of it. It surpasses knowledge. This is the love that's for you and keeps coming after you. It's the greatest gift. Paul wants you to know that you're fully loved in Jesus, fully provided for. So friends, let's look at the greatest demonstration as we, as we close. The greatest demonstration of God's love, for God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, look at the cross where Jesus is patient with all your mess, where he's literally long-suffering for you. Look at the cross, knowing you would still get it wrong and he's still patient for you, knowing his disciples would all leave and abandon him, and he's still patient. Look at the cross where Jesus is not just patient, he's kind. He's offering you a way home on the cross. He's not pointing the finger, like I said, he's opening his arms. Proverbs also says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Jesus is the gentle answer of God that turns away wrath. He's being patient and kind on the cross. Look at the cross where he's not just being patient and kind, he's also loving you to see you get more than you deserve, which is mercy which is the opposite of being envious. Love is not envious. Look at Jesus on the cross. He's not envious. He loves to grant you mercy. Look at the cross where Jesus doesn't boast. Mm -mm. Like right before Pilate, he's silent like a sheep led to the slaughter. He looks at Judas and he says, bring it on. Go do what you gotta do. (laughs) He's not boastful. Look at the cross where Jesus does not insist upon his own way, but just hours before he says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Look at the cross where Jesus is not resentful, but he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He's not keeping score. In fact, not only is he not keeping score, he's taking the score and he's nailing it to the cross. Paul says in Colossians 2 that Jesus took every record of death that stood against you and he nailed it to the cross and he triumphed over it. He made a display and a spectacle of what was against you and all his enemies and your enemies. He's not keeping score on you. He's taking your score and he's nailing it to the cross. He he doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing or unrighteousness or injustice, but he rejoices in the truth. Even on the cross, Jesus is rejoicing in the truth. He looks at homie next to him and says, you're going to be with me in paradise today. He's throwing a party for the guy next to him on the cross. He's rejoicing in the truth, even there. The cross is the ultimate display of God's love, where God in the flesh is bearing all your sin and shame. He's bearing all things for you. He's believing all things for you. He is trusting himself to the Father. Into your hand I commit my spirit. He's trusting his Father's plan. He's believing all things. He's hoping all things, that death and darkness don't get the last word. Yeah, it got dark. The sun did not shine. There was physical darkness when the earth quaked. But the sun was going to come up again, and so was Jesus. (laughs) He was hoping all things. He was enduring all things, running through the darkness as the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. He didn't quit, but John says he loved his own to the end. See, friends, this is God's love for you. This this new year, the beginning of it, can we just this morning say, yes, I, I agree with you, God, about your love. Maybe your calling today is simply this. I agree with you, God, about your love. And it's overwhelming and I don't deserve it. And I'm even too tired to even think about it sometimes. But God, give me energy to know and experience your love for me.
so that I might give it to others. Charles Spurgeon told a story about a farmer who, before we come to this table, I want you to think about this application. When you taste and see God's love for you, and you know it for yourself, a couple things happen. One, you, you can lay down and rest. You can put your feet up because Jesus put his feet up. He's at the right hand of the Father. He sat down because it's finished. Your identity is fully granted, given in Jesus. You're loved, beloved. That's who you are. When you taste and receive that, here's what happens. Um, you can rest, and then you can work even at rest. Like you can, you can work to love on others and give that love out because you have enough in your tank. And as we come to the table, here's what I want you to think about. Charles Spurgeon said, <laughs> this farmer goes to the king because he had this great crop and he had this carrot, his biggest, shiniest carrot. He gave it to the king. He said, oh, great king. I just wanted you to know I had a good crop this year and I want to bring you this carrot. And the king says something like, man, that's a big carrot. I love that carrot. Thank you. That's impressive. Man, good work. Good job. And uh, he's like, all right, I'll talk to you later. And so the guy, farmer, is turning out to leave and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up. Hey, just south of my kingdom, I have all this land, hundreds of acres. Um, I, I want your thumb in that dirt. I, I want you to work it. Would, would you mind working that? And he's like, I'd be honored to. And there's a nobleman in, in the court who, who sees all this and he's like, hundreds of acres for a carrot? Like, what can I get for a horse? He had some horses. So he goes home the next day, he gets a horse. Probably didn't even get his best horse, but he got a horse. And he comes back to the king and says, oh, great king, brought you this horse. She's a beautiful stallion. Wanted you to have her. And the king's like, thanks, bro. <laughs> thanks. And the nobleman is furious because he doesn't, there's just silence. And so as he turns to leave, the king knows it. The king knows he's furious. And he goes, hold up before you go. It's like, you're mad, aren't you? Well, gave it away. Yeah. He goes, hey, I'll tell you why you're mad. The farmer gave me the carrot, but you gave yourself the horse. Hmm. Friends, the gift of God is for you. Receive it. He's already given it to you. So friends, what do you have to give yourself? If you want to love your life, then lose it. If you want to keep your life, then give it away. You've been given everything you need already. Agree with God about that. Believe God for that. And then it beca- you become a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver, just like Jesus. He loves cheerful givers because they're made after his own image. That's who God is, a cheerful giver. He does not withhold from you. So friends, know you're loved. If you hadn't heard anything else, you're loved fully and finally in Jesus. So go love on some people. Love each other and go love on some more. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. Because deep down, we want to be loving, but we also want to be stingy. (laughs) We also want to get and not give. And so, Lord, help us to believe that we've gotten all that we need, that we will continue to get all that we need, that your love is constant and it never stops and it's always for us. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. And make us wildly generous people because that's exactly who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.